So last week I, I started to looking through my notes to identify a few things just to give you a little snippets of what this class is about and, and what some of the material will be. And for those of you who have joined us this week, you're, you're in luck. I didn't have it last week. It, for some reason, fell out of my notes. So just wanted to give you just a taste of some of the, the things that we're going to be talking about, what we're, we're driving at here. We're going to look at uh, sin nature. We're going to look at rebellion, uh, rewards, uh, behavior modification, um, versus heart changes. So you can change behavior or you can change the heart. Uh, wisdom teaching, that's a whole nother step, how to, how to teach wisdom. What is complete obedience? Um, what's the problem with rules? There's a whole thing, just making rules. What's the problem with that? Overprotective parenting, or kind of the opposite, permissive parenting. Uh, the myth of teenage rebellion, which our culture has, has brought in. Uh, natural consequences. Dealing with delayed obedience. You know, we just, you know, well, I'm starting to pile these things on top of each other, but that's why it's going to take six weeks to do this. Uh, childishness versus foolishness. There's a fun one. Um, how to tell them apart. Active rebellion versus passive rebellion. Kids can do different things, and, and they're still rebellion. Teaching your child to have a Godward orientation. Um, the heart, including the mind, the, the will, the affections. We're going to look at that today, actually. Uh, the priority of the husband-wife relationship, how important that is to the whole process. Discerning the abundance of the heart. How do you go in and actually see what is in that child's heart? Um, how to make the gospel a center of the process. How do you bring that in? Understanding the conscience. How does the conscience work? Why is the child responding different ways, and, and how is the conscience affecting that? Uh, the moral warehouse and moral search mechanism. That's a fun class. You're going to love that um, on how the mind works in that process. Uh, convictions versus preferences and how you deal with those. Uh, biblical communication. This is child that's starting out no communication and you're going to develop within them both to them and want them to develop biblical communication. Uh, the circle of blessing from Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, biblical character development. Not just character development, but biblical character development. Parenting goals and phases that your kids go through. You don't have the same goals at different ages. Family identity. You know, how, what is your family identified by? Um, the father's mandate. How, what is the father's role in this whole thing? And the priorities. Independent versus interdependent families. What's the difference between those? Uh, biblical obedience. Uh, how to take a relational inventory of your child how their relationships work and are affecting others. Uh, biblical methods of correction. I don't think I need to say much more about that. I think there's a, a word we know for that. Um, cultural spanking versus biblical chastisement. What's the difference between those? Uh, teaching the nature of reality. How, how do they interpret all this world around them? Um, the appeal process. How do you deal with something and then maybe it's not right and, and there's an appealing needed? In uh, parenting of the teens. How do you parent the teens, especially if you've got teens already? So hopefully that's whetted your appetite a little bit of, of some of the things that we're going to cover in here. I, I missed that week last week. For those who just came in, I, that's kind of like, oh, wow, this is <laughs> got some work to do, don't we? Um, reviewing over our, our points from last week, just wanted to look back real quick at these that uh, we went through. If you have your notes there, for those of you that this is your first week, I'll get you the notes. In fact, you know what? They're, all, they're, they're in the front flap here. I think I got three or four steps. Give those to the ones that uh, didn't. Go ahead and do that now. So we looked at the biblical foundations for parenting, and what what are the uh, what are those specific things that are the basis for the parenting process? Um, 
from the Bible and, and how we can look at this. The first was to be teachable. We want to make sure that we're starting off with a mindset that says that, that I, I will be teachable in this area. And we looked at the Proverbs that have a lot to do with that. Uh, we talked about be searching, and that means be searching scripture. You know, that, that this process that you're going through as parenting is something that's an ongoing process that the Bible does say. And that's why this week I had you do some homework reading a certain amount of Proverbs. You guys get a chance to read those? A couple of them? Okay, so did you spot things in there that were parenting? They kind of jump off the pages, didn't they? Any thoughts that you guys had that you read from any of those Proverbs? I had like six Proverbs I had you read. Any thoughts that you could... Proverbs 10, 11, a couple different Proverbs in there. Anything that hits you guys? Okay. So that was that's part of the process, is be searching the Scripture for what you're looking at with, uh, with parenting. The third one, Kathy, can you lock that door? Just, you know, the, the closet door, lock it so he can't get out. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we looked at uh, be aware, be aware. Colossians uh, 2, 8, and 9. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. How important that is because our world wants to feed us all kinds of uh, other psychology and and man-centeredness, even looking at the Bible from a man-centered view and sprinkle a couple verses on it. We have to be aware of that. Otherwise, we will be taken captive. The word there is robbery, that be taken spoil. Um, we don't want that to happen to us. It's very easy because there's so much under the name of Christianity out there in parenting, and uh, it will rob us of this opportunity. That was number three, be aware. Number four is be consistent. Be consistent. It's not easy to do this. It's real easy to be lazy and to not apply biblical principles. Um, kids do something and, and you're, you're not consistent, or the husband and wife are not consistent. One of you does it one way, the other does it another way, and next thing you know, the kid's going to figure that out and go to the one that they're going to have the easiest way to uh, get around what they, what they don't want to do. And God will give you power to do that. Uh, number five was be goal-oriented, and this wasn't just in terms of moral responses. Um, it's their desire for the Lord. How are we going to set those kind of things, that, that this will be what you're after, that you are the evangelist of your family for your kids, looking for their holiness rather than their happiness is what we talked about. Number six was to be like-minded. That's hanging around with people who have a similar value structure, whether it be the, the people from church or others, and identifying when we're going to even talk about this later on, how you kind of calculate out how many hours your kids spend with those who don't have like-minded parenting principles above them, and how's that going to affect them, all the way down to teachers and coaches and people like that. But we need to be like-minded. Proverbs 13, 20, a verse there is, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Number seven was be faithful. Um, there's going to be times when you're going to doubt the direction you're going, because it's a lot harder to stop and do this work. Exhausting. You're going to want to, as I said, put a for sale sign them, set them on the curb, and you know, free, take them, whatever. Um, but uh, we looked at Hosea 4 6. Seeing thou have forgotten the law of the, of the God, of God, I will also forget thy children. And we do not want that to happen where God would uh, forget our children. That's, that's scary. We get to that. It's, it's not just planting a crop of weeds and then praying for crop failure. No, we have to plant the right seeds in here, and we have to weed out those weeds. It looks very similar sometimes. 
Number eight was be honest. Uh, don't be afraid to uh, admit when you've made mistakes. Ask forgiveness of your kids. That sometimes is the best modeling we can do. So those were some of the, the basic ones that we started with. Today I want to launch us into a few key passages of Scripture that, that help us really put the four corners around this whole issue of parenting. And uh, it's what Ted Tripp focuses in on in the book that we're using here. And you'll have some homework reading that today. And that is the heart. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. For those of you who went through Bible Training Institute, who was Luke written by and to? Remember this? Written by Luke to Theophilus. Now, who was Theophilus? He was a, a leader, but he, what was his nationality? Greek. He was Greek, right. So it's written to the Greeks, not to the Hebrews. So therefore, you're going to see the, the context of the Gentiles is who this written, is written to rather than the, the uh, Jewish people. And uh, that, that context is important here. We're going to start looking at verse 39. Um, and, and verse 39, if you, as you flip through that, where does, uh, where, what was that in Luke Luke 6, ahead of that, like in verse uh, 20 to 26, what's he talking about there? What is that commonly known as? The Beatitudes. Okay, so this is right in the context of the Beatitudes, the northern side of the, uh, the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and he has them on the hillside there. He's, he's gone through the Beatitudes. That's what's, what's just occurred here. And uh, let's start at verse 39. He's, he's already been working miracles, casting out demons. And uh, we hit verse 39. Let's read that for some context here. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. Now here's what he says, verse 40, uh, end of 43 there. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil uh, out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If you look at the parallel passage in Matthew 12, which is written to the Jewish people, we see that he's actually speaking here to the Pharisees. The whole thing of the log is in your bro- brother's eye and, and those areas, he's talking to them. In fact, he's even calling them a brood of vipers. He's just excoriating them. He has the most condemning words that he saves are for the Pharisees. It's not for the vile sinners uh, caught in adultery or stealing or lying here. It's the righteous ones that he has the most adamant words about. And uh, to me, that's, that's interesting if you think about that in the context of parenting. That's where I want to start us out as parents to look at what we're doing. What are we allowing? What are we modeling? And what are we producing through our parenting? We are responsible for this as parents. Pharisees. Do you want to raise little Pharisees? You think about that. These guys, and you think of the Pharisees and who Jesus had these words for, 
that is a big uh, problem that our culture has created. The church has created a lot of these Pharisees. We have children raised in Christian homes. They may claim to love God. Their parents claim to love God. They know all the lingo. They know all the Bible stories. They may have even won the Awana Awards, the Timothy Award and this award for, for memorizing the most Bible verses. They know it all. They grow up and they make a hard turn right when they get out from under their parents' leadership, don't they? We see that. They turn from their parents, they reject the parental authority, they reject the gospel, and their parents are standing there saying, I did everything I think I could do. That's where their parents are at. Kathy and I have been teaching parenting for a, quite a while, and we've seen these three and four-year-olds that have been in the, the parents have been in our class, and we watch the parents, and now these three and four-year-olds are in their 20s. And we're watching them do this. We're going, what is this? And uh, from our passage, though, I, I think it's very clear to identify as, as we watch the parents and how much they really were serious about the parenting process. From our passage, I first want to concentrate on the last part of verse 45, Luke 6, 45. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So to understand behavior, we know first that it all stems from the heart. In fact, behavior is heart-driven. Can you think of any action that's not driven by the heart? Think about it, eating. Is eating driven by the heart? Yeah, that looks good, that doesn't. I'm gonna eat this. My heart decided I wanna eat this. Your kids are the same way. How about uh, playing sports? Yeah, yeah, the sports. I mean, you get high hearts into this, and well, the heart's not into it. Uh, sleeping, okay, sleeping, is that? Yeah, I'm tired, I need to sleep, and that's where the heart wants to do those things. Reading your Bible, yeah, that can be heart-driven or it can be not heart-driven. I'm doing it for a different purpose. Lying, we can just keep going down the road here. All activity there. Essentially, there's three main activities of the heart, and we don't take any actions without the heart. So we'll draw a little heart here, and I will warn you right now, I am not an artist, so we're gonna just have some patience. Um, there's three actions that we have. The first is the mind. The mind. Think about what the mind is. This is what the heart is doing in biblically. This would be your thoughts, your beliefs, your understanding, uh, uh, your memory. Uh, discernment is a part of this. So I'm going to write in here the mind. This would also be the uh, judgment. Your judgment of things. You, know, you think about some of these. You're, you're, you're judging something because your mind can think logically. God created that way. The conscience is a part of this. Your conscience is telling you this should be done, that shouldn't be done. That's all part of the, the heart, the mind part of the heart. The second would be the affections. The affections. You think about that, the affections. What is that? That is your longings. What is it that you long to do out there in your retirement or out there with your, um, your kids, what you want to do, or uh, those things that are, are most valuable to you, your affections? It would be your desires, your feelings, the way you feel about things. Well, there's something that's driving that feeling behind it. Your imagination. You know, what are you imagining? What do you dream sometimes as a part of that? These, these affections because it's what you're typically interested in. Your imaginations, your emotions are all a part of this process right here, of your affections that are in your mind. So the, the mind and the affections. The third part of the heart is the will. The will. This is the, the choices you make. 
I will do this and I will not do this. I like spaghetti, but I don't like hamburgers. These little things that your kids are developing, it's a choosing and a determining of actions. I'm gonna do actions based upon what my mind wants to do. I am willing, I want to have my mind do these things. So we all live out of our hearts. This is where our whole being operates. You see how these actions, all these little actions are part of the heart? You make choices. I will do this, I will not do that. I will think this, I will not think that. I will be desiring this, I will not do that. All of that is tied up in the heart here. So back to our, our passage. Luke's confronting this, the Pharisees about their hearts and uh, the way that they act. And he says in Luke 6.45, For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of his heart. So then we can say that really this is an overflow. It's out of what comes here is what we say and what we do. It's out of that heart that causes that process. Out of the heart is what we say and what we do. That's what the scripture says there. It's what we speak. This does, doesn't happen by accident. It just doesn't happen. This stuff comes out. It has to come out from somewhere. It's coming out of our hearts. It's related to what's inside the heart. And Christ was excoriating the Pharisees because they thought they had it down. They thought they had God in a box. They've got this all figured out. This is exactly what I need to do to be a, a righteous individual, and this is who I am, and they weren't dealing with the heart. Proverbs 4, 23, they should have known this verse. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So your heart is the wellspring of life. That's where everything comes out of. This is just bubbling over, and it's out of what bubbles over is what you say and what you do. These Pharisees Christ was addressing, they showed all the external signs of obedience, didn't they? And they had it all down. They, for a time, could control their behavior, but deep inside their hearts, how were they acting? You could see it. They were jealous of the crowds that followed Christ. They didn't want him to get that attention. They wanted the high positions. They wanted to be seen in the land as the pious ones. They weren't guarding their hearts. Instead, they were following their hearts, exactly what was in their hearts, and it was now the thing that was condemning them. Well, parents, likewise, they get sidetracked. We as parents, I did it too, we get sidetracked with behavior. Bad behavior irritates us. It makes us look bad. My kid's doing this. My kid's doing that. I don't want to be seen. Oh, I'm embarrassed because of this. So we often will manipulate, coerce, bribe, or even force behavior in our kids because we want them to be a certain way. We're going to look at what happens when we deal with behavior in a way that does it without dealing with the heart. What happens then when you're, you're, you're just dealing with the, the raw behavior itself? Ted Tripp says, a change in behavior that does not stem from a change in heart is not commendable, it's condemnable. A change in behavior that does not stem from a change in the heart is commendable, is not commendable, it is condemnable. We're going to be coming back to this passage in Luke 6 and, and Matthew 12. It's, we're going to keep referencing this in the next 15, 14 weeks. I want to take you back to now to a key Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy 6. This is going to be one that I'm going to just pound this into you for 16 weeks. You're going to say, okay, Grant, I get it. I need to memorize this one. I need it to be a part of my life. That's the idea. And you're going to do the same with your kids, hopefully. Um, 
This is one that you want to underline. It sums up a whole lot of parenting in just one solid passage. The whole, the whole passage here does. But I'm going to start you first at verse 1. And this is Moses speaking. He wrote the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy it was really happening in about a month's time is all. And they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're coming to the Jordan. They're going to cross over the Jordan. Moses is old. He knows that he's going to not be able to go into the promised land, and so he writes down Deuteronomy. This is a reminder of everything that you need to know. Deuteronomy 6 is where it starts up here. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. First, as you look at that, don't you see the, the multi-generational aspect of it? Isn't that cool? You, your sons, and your son's sons. So this is the pattern that we should be doing. When you think about this whole thing in, in a context of parenting, it, it makes a lot of sense. So this is where I want to start us out to look at what we're doing as parents. What we're allowing, what we're modeling, what we're producing through our parenting, we are responsible. And this verse kind of sums it up. You see a similar verse to this in uh, Ephesians 6. Funny, it's, it's Luke 6, Deuteronomy 6, Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, 1. I'm sure you guys remember, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. And you may live long in the land. That verse matches exactly in here, doesn't it? That Deuteronomy 6 verse 2 said that you may fear the Lord your God and your son's sons, keeping his statutes command, which I command you these days of your life. It may be, they be long and it, it may go well with you. The same thing is said here. The Deuteronomy 6 passage, verse 4, this is the Shema which the Jews would recite at least twice a day. This was something that they just had drilled into them. They drilled it into their kids. This is the same verse that they would roll up, write it down a little piece of papyrus or something, I guess, back then, and they would stick it in a, a little box, and they would remember it. And when you go to a Jewish person's house, you see this little thing nailed onto the corner of the doorpost? That's a mezuzah. That has this scripture in it. That this verse is what's directing those Jews to put that on the corner of their house and you knock on their door and you say, oh, what's that little thing hanging on the wall? That's the mezuzah. And that's what it had with this scripture in the Shema. When we went over to Israel, we saw the Jewish, the real high and holy ones that walk around and they have this little box right up here, right around their forehead or it's on their wrist. Well, what did Deuteronomy 6 say in the end there? You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So what are they doing? They're taking that scripture and they're taking it literally and they're just putting it in a little box and putting it there and putting it in places. 
You think that's what God intended? This is the outward signs of it. No, God says he wants the inward signs. Take these scriptures and put them right here in your brain and in your kid's brain and have them on their hand as if every time I'm working, every time I'm doing something, I am thinking of this. The Lord our God is one. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. That's where it comes down to. But notice here the order. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. It talks about the parenting process, but where does it start? These commandments shall be on your heart. Before we can teach our children, verse 6, we need to be, have them first on our own hearts. It needs to be the wellspring right here of our hearts first so that it overflows from us. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is saying. So this class is more about training you and your heart. Ha ha, fooled you, huh? Got you in here. It's all about you guys and training you first so that your wellspring will overflow and you'll then desire to do the same thing for your kids. The Bible's full of references to the heart. It's all over there. First uh, in, this, in this light, 1 Samuel 16, 7. This has to do with Samuel um, choosing David as the next king. So he's going out there and looking for the king and he's having him look at different ones and the sons. And uh, he, he comes up to him, he says, uh, the Lord says to Samuel in verse six, I'm sorry, verse seven of 1 Samuel 16, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him, speaking of an older brother. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the <coughs> Lord looks on the heart. That's what we're after here. Funny, the first time we ever saw this Ted Tripp material and, and, and read it, we did a video series, and in the video series, Ted comes up and starts teaching. And Ted, if you know him, he has a, a large birthmark right here on his, on his head. And it's like, kind of like purple. And he's okay, I, I can get that. But then he's standing there, he's got the microphone wired, just kind of draping all over the place. And it's on the stage, and he's kind of trip on this thing, and he's kind of worried about that. And then you look at the audience that are panning, and it looks like you're in 1980s. I mean, women with the puffy sleeves, and you think, I can't watch this. This is just terrible. How, how am I going to get through this 12 weeks or whatever it was? But this verse hit me right immediately. I said, no, it's not the externals. It's what am I going to learn out of this thing? What is there beyond what I'm seeing right on the face value of this disjoint thing? Yeah, they've cleaned it up since then. But the material is really what we're after to help that would drive the heart of my child. And it, it just hit me right between the eyes, which Deuteronomy 6, I guess that matches it, doesn't it? When you, when you do that. So uh, it was kind of interesting to watch that. We focus on the outward appearance, the man things. Do we spend more time on the outer things or on the heart issues? And I know that's a hard struggle in your mind when you look at that. What are we doing this for? Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless. Give support to those whose heart is blameless. Man, can you imagine if you have a heart right here that has a mind, affections, and will that is blameless, and you're training your kids at that level when, when there is no blame in your heart, that would be awesome. And now as a result, what, you, what they see you doing, what they, you say, what you do, this is where it will be caught. They're going to see mom and dad doing this. Oh, this is really about their life with Christ. It's, they're doing it for the right purpose. Proverbs 22.15, we've probably all heard this verse. Fully, uh, folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. 
It's in there. It's right there. We can see it often. Yep, there's that little fool walking around. There's foolishness, not a fool. A fool is somebody who doesn't follow uh, what they have been taught. But foolishness naturally is there. It's, it's naturally a part of the heart. The needs we have and the needs our children have are heart issues. They're not so much physical needs. Yes, there are physical needs, but the heart issues is where it's at. Christ has lots of examples Examples of this. He draws the boundaries at the heart. This is where we need to work. Matthew 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21 of Matthew 6 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So wherever your treasure is, my heart's going to be right in there. So you will see right there, ah, this is what that person values. You'll see those treasures and what they're working for, what important things to them is in the heart because it shows up in what they say and what they do. You see how the mind, the affections, and the will are all a part of this, all wrapped together into the heart. Our tendency as parents and as humans is to deny our, the connection of our behavior with our heart, isn't it? We often will do that. If your kid does something, just they're being obnoxious, oh, he's tired today, right? We'll say that. Well, he's, he's real tired. He didn't get a nap. His behavior is revealing what's in his heart, that he's being a little brat, that he's being selfish, that he's not treating his brother kindly, that he's throwing temper tantrums, whatever it is. Not so much, yes, he may be tired, but it's really what's showing what's in his heart that we need to train to get out of him. Or he's shy. I know I shared that example of my one son who just wouldn't say hello to somebody. And it was a part of his heart. It wasn't just that he was shy. Yeah, he didn't want to talk to people, but there was a heart reason for that, something in his will, something in his mind, or in his affections that was making him not obey what he was told to do. We've done it ourselves. Oh, that wasn't me that did that. You know, you do something. That wasn't me. Or, you know, I was tired. I was under pressure. I'm sorry I did such and such. We're saying what I said and what I did, there was... There's this disconnect that there's nothing between here with my mind or my heart or my will. Untrue. It is. When there is something we do, it's actually revealing who we really are. Often, It's kind of just peeling back those layers and saying, ah, it's the sod of being a Christian, of acting like a godly person, is there as a show. And way down there, there's something in my heart that's evil that God needs to deal with. And that's good when we see those things. What we say when we're mad is closer to really what we are, isn't it, sometimes? That's, that's really who we're like. What did Luke 6 say about it? It's out of the uh, overflow of the heart that we speak and we do. Another example of this is in Matthew 15, 8. The disciples are eating without doing ceremonial washing. So the Pharisees see what's going on there, and, and they're having a conniption. Said, oh, they're eating without having all their ceremonial washings of this and that and all the others. In uh, it says in 15.8 uh, there, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The things that come out of the mouth come out of the heart. So they were just saying all this because they were trying to prove their own righteousness by what they did rather than what their heart was. Back to our passage in Luke 6.43. Let me get back there. We said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. 
for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Makes sense now, doesn't it? A lot more. It was explained to me like this about 30 years ago. And uh, let's say I had a nice big apple tree in my backyard. And this is a tree that's been there for 20 years. It's mature. It's a nice tree out there. But the apples on this thing are just terrible. Little tiny things. And it tastes lousy. And the branches really aren't that shaped right. And uh, my wife says to me, Grant, that apple tree has been producing bad fruit for a long time. I want you to fix that tree. I want you to make that tree give us good apples. I mean, this has been a long time. We've lived here in this house for 12 years, and that tree we thought had given us some good apples. These are lousy apples. I want you to fix it. Wife goes off to do something with her girlfriends and says, hmm, let me think about this. Okay, I think I can fix that apple tree. So I go to the hardware store, and I buy a bunch of monofilament line. I go to the grocery store, I buy a couple boxes, bushels of apples. And I come here, and I start cleaning them up. Get a little ladder, and then I take some string and I hang, hang apples all over this tree. So my low hanging ones going back a little bit. Oh, now I need a couple more here to make it even. And I go and do that. A couple hours later, my wife comes home and, well, dear, I took care of the tree. I we've got great apples on that tree. Really? Yeah, awesome apples. They taste great. I tasted one myself. They're delicious. Throws out there and says, "You are nuts, dude! What is wrong? What are you on? That—that's not what I'm asking for. That tree may look good, but that's not sustainable. That in one week is going to be putrid and it's going to stink by all those rotten apples hanging on it. Said, what are you thinking? But you know, this is what we do. This is the fruit that sometimes we put there, often in our parenting without even knowing it is what we're doing. We're making our kids look good." We're making our kids feel good, but they have a systemic problem down here. These roots are roots, and there's no good shade down here. So we need to, instead of taking them up there, we need to do our work down here at the foundation in here, and we need to till this ground. We've got to get some good fruit, and it's going to take time for that to come up in here. It's going to be work. It's going to be patience. It's going to be waiting on God to do his work. We don't know exactly how God takes dirt and turns it into apples, but if we trust God to do that with apple trees, we don't have him to do that with this work. We need to start down here at the foundation in each of the areas where we often miss in that process. The heart is not dealt with. Can you think of some way your kids, or I'll even let you think, your neighbor's kids, because those are the ones we always watch, right? Our neighbors have done this with their kids. Can you think of any that you've seen this? Come on, we got close to 20 people in here. I'm sure some of you can think of some way that you've seen this happen. You've seen some parents parenting in a way that they're just trying to fix the behavior and not deal with the problem. Somebody's got to talk. Yeah. What, what's an example of some of this? see those little rewards that they're using. Uh Good. How about this one? One child hits another and or does something to him. Go and say you're sorry. Sorry. No, I want you to say sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, you say it like you mean, I'm sorry. 
Okay, good, thank you. See, he's sorry. What did we just do? We just hung a little apple there, see, he's sorry. He made us to think that he's really sorry. We just feel what, you know what, your heart is real. And your heart just punched that kid and hit him. That's bad, do you realize how bad that is when you are doing that to another child that they're less important than you? And you deal with it as an issue, not with the behavior and say, I'm sorry. Or how about this one? If you be nice to your brother, you're gonna get a gold star on the chart on the refrigerator. And when we get 10 gold stars, we're gonna go get ice cream. Great, having a chart here, they're being good to their brother or their sister. But what is, what is it we're training here? Yeah, what is it out there? It's that little gold uh, carrot out there, right? And that's they, because we, we don't know how to deal with it. So if you look good for me, I'll get something for you. So it's a give and a take. You give me this, I'll give you that. How about at the grocery store? You get that little two-year-old in the cart there, and you got a four-year-old on the other end of the cart, and you got a one-year-old on your hip or whatever, and you got these kids all over there, and you know that you've got, you're facing some issues. Kids, if you be good, we're gonna get to pick a candy bar at the checkout line. If you're good, well, you each get one if you're, if you're really good. I'm gonna be watching you. So you go through the whole, oh yeah, they're good, and they get a candy bar. Wow, I just did a great job parenting, didn't I? Look at these great kids. They just were wonderful for me. But what did you just do? What were they after? Did they, out of the goodness of their heart, right here overflowing, I am gonna be wonderful for my parents today in the grocery store because I know how important it is to them that they can get their grocery shopping done. No, it's, I want that candy bar. Give me that candy bar, right. How about shame or guilt? After all I've done for you, mom worked so hard in the kitchen and made this dinner, and you go and do this. Why are you doing that? You're shaming them into it. Or dad's worked so hard for the money, for the food for us, and you're just going to throw it away, and, and dad did all of this stuff. Don't you see the, the connection? And so you're, you're trying to shame them into it. How about this one? A shut-up jar. Great idea that I read. It was brilliant. The guy was just brilliant. They had family, they weren't, they had a problem with a bunch of kids in the in the six to twelve year old range, and the kids would say, Shut up. They just started learning this somehow through school or some other place. Shut up. I said, I'm tired of hearing shut up. So what the dad does is every time anybody says shut up, there's a jar right here on the counter, and we're gonna put a dollar in that jar. And we're gonna fix this problem. So there go a couple days, and sure enough, somebody accidentally, he said, shut up. Okay, got to put a dollar in. And so they got a few dollars in there when they're going to go out for ice cream if they got enough dollars in there. And eventually, the word shut up stopped in the family. They're not saying shut up. We fixed the problem. Aren't we brilliant with this shut up jar? This is what parenting books, Christian parenting books, say to do. You didn't fix the problem. You just diverted it somewhere else, and you fed the kid a bunch of ice cream because they wanted the reward. You missed the issues of the heart that would have affected these things. Why are they saying shut up? What is in their heart that's telling the other child that you cannot say anything and that I think that you shouldn't and therefore I'm telling you to shut your mouth? There's a heart issue that's driving that behavior, isn't there? There's something in their will or their affections or their mind that says that. So what's wrong with this? What's wrong with these type of things? What does it do? Bingo, you got it. It provides a false basis for ethics, doesn't it? That child grows up thinking this way, and we have a couple generations been raised on this. They think that they're gonna get something because of their behavior, and that's what they're after, whether it be on a job or other places. It's a false basis.
for ethics. It also trains their hearts to serve idols. I am after that idol of what I want, and I will get it if I can just meet these certain criteria. Whatever you use to constrain behavior trains the heart. Whatever you use to train behavior trains the heart. So whether you constrain it or you train it, all of that is training their heart either to the good or to the bad to, to make them who they are. Changed behavior is not what we want. Let me repeat that. We're not after changed behavior. That is not the, the issues that Christians should be after within their kids. It's not a point that will allow you a chance to drive it to Christ. And we, we can't get to Christ through this, this jar, the shut-up jar. How do you get to Christ? Well, we put our dollar in a jar. Now, kids, we said we did. Christ died for our sins, and, and we need to trust him. We're going out for ice cream. I don't care about that. It, there's no connection with those kids. Our desire is for them to know the living God, to know God's ways and his truth, to love him, to respond to him in ways that are biblically obedient. In these shut-up drawers and other little things, there is no need for the gospel of Christ that will be what saves them. It's, if we're simply trying to manipulate and change their behavior, there is no need for a savior. They're going to grow up just like the Pharisees. And the Pharisees figured, I can do all these things that will make me look good. And man, that apple tree looks great. But when God comes, he's going to throw it in the bramble bush, burn it. They look good on the outside, but inwardly they're going to be a vile sinner in need of a Savior. So instead, we need to uh, have a standard that our children are going to rise up to. This is the heart that you want to create in your child. Psalm 139. I'm going to read Psalm 139. This is, this is where you want your kids to live. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sittings down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted in all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, and, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I send into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day and the dark as the, and the light are both alike to you. For you, informed my in, you formed my inward parts and covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. The, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet un, un, unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, yet as it were, there were none of them. It goes on to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Know, try me and, and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me into way everlasting. That is such a different heart that says, God, I am transparent to you. You can see this little monofilament line that's holding all these things up. Cut them and, and work on my heart. That's a, that's a neat thing. Deuteronomy 6, going back to that, it says, but teach me first. Have it be in my heart first, then I can teach my children. This is a scary thing. Can I honestly ask God what David asked in Psalm 26 too? Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. 
We want kids who are self-conscious inside. To get there, we have to use methods that will take them to Christ. If two kids are fighting over a toy and, and they've got this little spat going on, our typical response is to walk in and say, okay, who had it first? You had it first. Okay, take the toy. You shouldn't be hitting them. And we stop the fight that way. But we didn't really assess both hearts. Often we have to do that. It could have been this first child, when he came into the room, knew that that other child won and raced over there and grabbed that and then gave him the evil eye. I've got your toy and provoked the second kid. Ha, ha, I've got the toy. It's your favorite. And he did it just because his heart was so evil he wanted to spite his brother. And they, then the other brother, I've had it, and punches him. Well, you come in right as he's punching him to take the toy, and you think it's this child. You missed the opportunity of both hearts. So we need to look at the hearts of both child children that they are both exhibiting and working on things that are proper here. I've seen this kid before. They're, they're after, ha, I got it, you don't. The second child taunts the first one. Your justice then will fully exasperate the sin of the first child, and it's, it's just going to drive them nuts. That's to be after both of them. Both of them are often expressing sinful hearts just in different modes. So these first couple weeks, we're trying to set the foundation for this. We've looked at the heart as the main focus of our att attention as parents. We're going to be spending a lot more time getting into this. And, and how do you look at this? And how do you really understand what's going on in here? Then we're going to look to see how we can go after the behavior as a target. That's a, a byproduct of it. We're going to be looking at poor parenting models and how this happens versus godly examples. Next week, we're actually going to look at the husband-wife relationship. And that is a key element of this, how the two of you function together. When you're married, before you have any kids, man, you better set a good foundation of what that is before you go and have kids. That will drive a lot of what these kids are watching because of that relationship. So we're going to get into that next week and because there's a lot of stuff that's crept into the church of worldly philosophies in that area. Kathy, did you have any comments on any of this? Sometimes you add good stuff to yeah, it. Yeah, I think one of the things, too, that was a key word that we learned is balance. There's going to be times when you just want to swing that pendulum off to one end because you've been doing something and you feel like, okay, I'm just going to come down super hard on your kids or, or you – you're too easy, you think, oh, well, they don't understand, they don't know what they're doing, you know, you don't hold any accountability. And I think, you know, we learned early on, it's balance, and you're going to choose which battles to start working on first, because you're going to get overwhelmed by some of this stuff, you're going, whoa, we have a lot of work. You know, don't lose heart, because if you start with something, you know, we're going to talk about first-time obedience, if that's an issue with you, don't worry about all the other things so much if you don't even have first-time obedience because, you know, you want to focus on what issue it is. And we'll get into a lot more details, but, you know, don't lose heart because it can be totally overwhelming where you're feeling like, oh, my goodness, I have so much work to do, you know, or, the, or vice versa where you kind of don't even hold your kids accountable. You're thinking, oh, they don't, they're too young. They don't know what I'm talking about. They're, they don't know what I mean. And um, we ran into a lot of parents with that who just mm -hmm. didn't understand, mm -hmm. you know, like, well, well, I have four boys. It doesn't work for yeah, me. Yeah, or it doesn't work for me. You know, it maybe it doesn't work. I mean, we get so many people. Oh, I tried that. It doesn't work. Or, or you know, they. It, what's interesting to me is we just had our son, our grandson here last week, the week um, for a whole week with him. He's 18 months. You know, it's amazing. He can't verbally say things, but he can sure understand. And it's a crack up to, to know how much they understand. Mm -hmm. and, and verbally, he can't say, but he knows if you say, you know, go give this to mommy, he'll take it and go give it to mommy. And yet, oftentimes, we don't hold them accountable to their actions of he wants something, he's upset, he's throwing a little tantrum that he doesn't get it or doesn't get his way, and, and 
we don't think they understand. It's like, oh, he's only 18 months. We can't speak. He doesn't. But we don't hold anybody accountable or hold our kids accountable in that sense. So um, it's a process, and, and it's going to be a step-by-step. Step and, you know, don't miss your classes because this is really important to, to, to take that step-by-step because step when you miss the foundations, then you have a hard time putting the drops together. Um, two thoughts. One is uh, be watching for this this week. Be watching for examples that maybe you've done that. Oh, you know what? I think I just hung an apple on that tree with monofilament line rather than digging something down deep. And you're going to learn. You're going to think, help, I need some help. How do I deal with this? Because I know I did it wrong. Well, pray about it. Work on it. But just think heart. Think heart. And that will help you initially. And then call Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> chapter, the introduction in chapter one of the book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, that's uh, what you should be reading this week. And uh, we're going to be back here next week as uh, <coughs> God would allow. So.